I'm your doing turn. it's my turn. <laughs> <clears throat> I got this. I'm sure. Yes. I'm sure. Yes. Maybe. Welcome to the 15th episode of the True North Witches podcast. Uh, in this episode, we are doing a joint topic of the Sabbat Lamas. Yes. We're going to talk a little bit about what the holiday is, uh, why we celebrate, the history of it, uh, and then ways we can celebrate it. And then Steph is going to talk about a few of rituals that you can do. And crafts, I guess. Crafts was the word I was looking for. And I'm going to be talking about the food. What was your witchy fact? Did you know that the witches' pointy hats are rooted in anti-Semitism? Early accounts of witches showed them bareheaded with their hair swirling in fire and smoke, according to uh, reporting by Slate. I don't know who that is. Uh, it wasn't until the, the 1710s that children's books in England began featuring witches in pointy hats. The illustrations might have been based on hats worn by other marginalized groups. In 1215, the Fourth Council of the Lateran, a council covened by Pope Innocent III in Rome, required Jewish people to identify themselves by wearing a cone-shaped Juden hat I think that's the way you spell it. You spell it? Mm. According to Slate, by 1431, Hungarian legal codes required first-time sorcery offenders to walk among their peers in peaked Jews' caps. Love it. So that is your witchy fact of the day. Oh, very sweet. <coughs> okay, so um, doing a tarot pull, however... I'm throwing you a curveball because I prefer oracle cards so we're doing an oracle card pull with me today I and that. I'm doing the fairy oracle by Brian Froud um because it's my favorite deck and um this lovely lady Miss Brooke is the one who got it for me a uh, hundred years ago so you're telling them our secrets <laughs> Uh, so the card that was picked <coughs> for y'all today for this podcast was um, Iris of the Rainbows. Oh. Now, I'm one of those people who don't do, doesn't really do reverse readings, um, usually because I'm bored and lazy. If they happen to show up in my deck, though, then I, I do um, because, like in a reading, um, just because it means it was meant to be there. So, and I'm like anal. I make sure that my, my cards are all upright. So, if, so if a card's purposely gone to make itself um, not upright, um, it, there's a reason. She will sit there after a reading and make sure that all of her cards are in the right order. <laughs> Always. You will know my because my, we own the same fairy oracle deck. You yeah. will know if it's my deck versus hers because mine, I don't care. <laughs> hers put in specifically upright to make sure. Yep. Um, so the, the card represents hope, promise for the future. Look at that. 
Um, so blue skies and rain are the realm of Iris, the rainbow fairy. She dwells at the meeting of air and water. She sits rainbow-hued rainbow wings outspread, suspended in midair, partially wrapped in her deep sky draperies and crowned with iris blossoms. The fairy archers tip their arrows in her potent handful of iridescent light. Firing their arrows, they send polychromatic rays into the storm, bringing light to dismal skies and hope to darken hearts. So the starter reading for this, it says, uh, Iris tells us that light is breaking through our present darkness and that hope is a powerful factor in speeding up this process. <laughs> she does not promise us that the storm is over, nor does she say that it will never storm again, but she does say that there is brightness and beauty here. She also tells us that there is something to be gained by this passage through the storm. And the sooner we learn what it is, the sooner the storm will end. Always a passage through the storm is a time of potential growth, time to allow the dread wood of our past to be blown away to make room for the green shoots of new growth. At this point, it is useful to ask ourselves what we would still need to release to look after protecting and nurturing the seeds we have planted. Iris suggests that, we, that the cultivation of patience may also be helpful at this time. The storm is breaking up and, we are, and are we ready for the change if we are presently frogs? the fairies say the time of our transformation foretold by the rainbow may be at hand then we shall be kissed by the prescient light of the sun and discover if we are still frogs or if we have become something much more don't you're not a child no, don't who knows that she can make the dirty fucking jokes so that is our card though i feel like um it's more, this card is more directed at me. I am fully aware that I have an awakening coming in. Am I being okay. stubborn and avoiding it? A hundred percent. No, I have that feeling too. So that probably isn't just you. So <laughs> we are, uh, this is uh, the joint, we're doing a joint episode. Uh, joint topic. Thank you. Joint topic today. We are covering Lamas. And Lunasad or Lunasad. Lunasal is also a term <coughs> for this. Uh, it's usually uh, celebrated about August 1st or 2nd. And uh, the meaning of the word Lamas or half mass is the feast of bread. So you see a lot of wheat and bread recipes in this. You'll also start to sight, kind of see your harvest. Uh, being used like your, you know, your apples and your vegetables and things like that, and your corn. Um, one of the big things in Lunasud, uh, the it's actually you can listen it, you can find it anywhere on the internet. There is actually a song uh, called "John the Bar Barley Corn Is Dead," and it literally speaks about uh, the harvest. Nasad means to give in marriage, and Lu is the name of a Celtic god. Therefore, Lunasad means to give in marriage to Lu. The primary focus of this particular holiday, uh, it is a bread harvest. It is the very first harvest, and we have three of them, and we will only speaking about two, actually. Um, because we are doing every other, so we'll be talking about the first harvest and the last harvest, actually. So we'll be talking about Lunasad and Suen 
It is a grain harvest. It requires games of sport, blessing, and seining rites. And I had to look this up because in the book it just says seining rites. Uh, and mm. so this is a Scots word for blessing, protecting, or consecrating. Oh. This is also a holiday of payment of debts and weather magic. The age of the actual holiday is unknown. Um, it's obviously like pre-Christianity and things like that. Uh, but its popular mythos is the marriage of Lu, the Celtic god, to the goddess. And this goddess in the mythology does vary. Yeah. It is the sacrifice of fruits to the soil, depending on your area. And it is the season for hand fasting. Oh. Yes. So the astrological sign is 15 degrees Leo. It is fire and it is fixed. So it is a, it, it, this is our festival basically, us Leos. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So its planetary rulers are the sun. And it says, <clears throat> Lamas is most associated with the first of the harvest celebrations, encompassing hay, grain, and cereal yields and appears to be best known for its festival atmosphere and temporary hand baskets, which are marriages that lasted one year at the consent of both parties uh, in medieval documentation. And that was from my book, The Ultimate Book of Shadows for the New Generation Solitary Witch by Silver Ravenwolf. Hmm. So I got most of my stuff this time out of my own books, actually. So, interesting enough. So, the next one says, so Lunasad, or Lamas, was named for the Celtic god Lu, or, like, spelled L-U-G-H, or is Lu in Wales, which is L-E-W. Mm. This holiday is usually celebrated on August 1st but some witches prefer August 5th when the sun is 15 degrees in Leo. <clears throat> According to Celtic mythology, Lu is an older, wiser version, um, sorry, is an older, wider personification of the god Baal or Bel, uh, who is, who Beltane is named after. So if you look at um, the pantheon, you know, how we have Maiden Mother Crone, there, if you're, usually, if you follow two deities, uh, and they have those aspects, the god will be, I think it's Young God, Father, and Sage. I always forget that one. I always forget that one as well, and I think there are a couple other ways to, to verify it, so uh, I do apologize if I am wrong for your specific uh, pantheon. Uh, early Christians dubbed the holiday Lamas, meaning loaf mess, because farmers cut their grain at this time of year and made it into bread. The holiday's significance. So in agrarian cultures, this holiday marked the time to begin preparing for the barren winter months that lay ahead. They cut ground and stored grain, canned fruits and vegetables, and brewed wine and beer in late summer. Early pagans sold their wares at harvest fairs. Held, they held athletic competitions. 
And you can see this age-old tradition carried on today at country fairs throughout rural parts of the United States. And that came from Modern Witchcraft Grimoire, Your Complete Guide to Creating Your Own Book of Shadows by Sky Alexander. And I actually really like that book. I have two on them, and I like the way that that author puts uh, everything kind of yeah. in their books because it is very well structured. I want to talk a little bit, and I'm going to have to switch books because I didn't want to write this all down because it was crazy. So this is from Luland's Sabbath Essentials, Lunasad, Rituals, Recipes, and Lore for Lamas. So I have all eight of these books. These are a wealth of information. So they have one for each Sabbath. And they have like the old ways, the new ways, recipes and crafts and things like that. Um, and a couple other things, which is really nice. So the old ways, originating in Ireland, Lunasad or Lunasad, it's spelled two different ways in the book here. Uh, it gets its name from the Celtic deity Lu. Uh, in modern times, Lu is often thought of as a solar deity and harvest god, but originally he seems to have been understood as a god of human skill, kings, and patreon of heroes. Lu was king of the Tuatha Di Duana, Duana, a race of divine beings whose name translates as people of the goddess of Danu. Danu was a mother goddess associated with water, the earth, fertility, and victory. With the help of Lu, Danu's followers managed to displace the fear bog and Bomori. Again, I apologize if I butcher any of these names. Uh, English is my first language, and I'm not adverse in many other languages. Mm -hmm. um, the, so, Displace, the uh, Fear, Bulk, and Samori, the previous ca cast of divine rulers who were portrayed in Irish myths as monstrous beings. Lu was attributed with great skill in craft and warfare, and over time he became equated to the Roman god Mercury, who was also Hermes in Greek mythology, if I am not mistaken. Hmm. The in the festival of Lunasa, Mary McNeil's comprehensive study of traditional Celtic Lunasad customs, the author concluded that the festival most likely originally con consist wow. consisted of a mix of ceremony, feasting, and ritual th theatrics usually held on hilltops or waterside. There is likely, according to the author, a ritual in which the first fruit from the grain harvest would be brought to the top of the hill of a hill and buried as an offering. The author also reports, as common practice, a bull sacrifice and ceremony involving the animal's hide, as well as a ritual play retelling Lou's triumph over blight or famine, in which a human head was installed on top of a hill 
by a person playing the role of Lou. Oh. This was followed by three days of festivities. According to McNeil, feasting on bilberries, sacrificial bull flesh, and the new food of the predominant crop of the harvest, grains in early days of, and potatoes in latter years, served as a primary aspect of the celebrations. While our knowledge of early lunacid celebrations is decidedly limited, the elements we do know of are amply intriguing. One curious aspect of this sort is the fact that Lunasud is sometimes referred to as Lou's wedding feast. This idea stems from a reference in the uh, 15th century version of Tokmark Amir, a medieval Irish saga. The manuscript makes reference to Lou's the nice Rigi or kingship wedding feast. Although the manuscript does not make specific mention of Lou's actual mating with anyone in particular, Ireland indeed has a long tradition of tying kingship to union with a goddess figure. Kingship was often legitimized through marriage to a woman of royal lineage. Royal lineage. And as such, women were often associated with goddesses and may have been seen as priestesses of the goddess or embodiments thereof. Literally, descriptions of such kingship wedding feasts typically involve a sexual element and the administering of a special drink by the goddess, in quotes, to the new king. Lou's kingship wedding feast might be understood as symbolic of a coronation. He is united with the goddess, the land, and his rule over it is legitimized through the process. More commonly, however, Lunasad is referred to not as a wedding feast, but as Lou's funeral games held in honor of his stepmother, Palchia. Palchia? I believe is how it's pronounced. Not at all how it uh, how it's written at all. Um, Talchia was the wife of the last king of the Fearball. When the Fearball was overthrown, Talchia remarried to one of the new ruling class, the Twelfth de Denan. Again, I apologize if I butcher. Anything. Hmm. According to legend, uh, Talchia died of exhaustion after clearing the fields of Ireland for agriculture, and Lou initiated the fair of Taltean in, hmm. uh, in her honor as a wake fair, including feasting, games, and sports. Whether or not the games were actually the inspiration of Lou himself must remain a mystery, but we do know as fact that the event called the Fair de Teltan was held annually on the 1st of August at a locality midway between Navan and Kiel's, near a reputed grave site of the le legendary Talchia, 
in what is now country Mief, Ireland. Please, mm. please, again, not, not my first language. I do apologize nope. if I'm butchering anything. Uh, so dating back to at least <laughs> century, the fair drew together people for, from throughout Ireland and Scotland. Popular for its athletic games, a report from the fair written in 1169 records records, sorry, that the horses and chariots alone who gathered to witness this spectacle stretched in a line more than six miles long. Competitive sports weren't the only entertainments at the fair of Tail Tien, which latter became known as Tail Town, Tail Town on the Black Water. It was also a time of romance when partnerships were arranged between available youths and ceremonies to formalize the new unions were often performed on the spot. Lunasud was a popular time for trial marriages, which were temporary partnerships that lasted for a year and a day until the end of the new fair, at which time the union could be dissolved if they so desired. Such partnerships are sometimes called telltown marriages, handfasts, a type of pagan marriage ceremony, were quite common at Lunasud with more uh, permanent unions forged in addition to the temporary trial ones. The couple began hand, being hand-fasted, would gather witnesses, clasp their right hands together, and exchange vows of devotion to one another. Gifts were often exchanged between the spouses, taking a variety of forms from rings and golden coins to red ribbons, gloves, and silver toothpicks. Though arguably the most famous of the fair Teltan was by no means the only August fair known in Ireland. A similar fair was held at Carmen in what now is now country Kildare. Local legend uh, relates that Carmen was the name of the mother of an invading force who threatened Ireland. According to lore, Carmen gave up her life and died a hostage as a way to guarantee that the invaders would not return. Giving credence to the tale, archaeologists discovered near the site of the remains of a young woman who seems to be, have been buried alive. It may seem odd to us to have a fair near a grave site, but such locations seem to have been preferred. The Lunacid fairs were typically held near the burial mounds of mythical divine female heroes, such as Telchian or Carmen. An old poem that speaks of the fair Carmen does well to illustrate the significance and appeal. The renowned, and this is, this is the poem. The renowned field is the cemetery of kings, the dearly loved of noble graves. There are many meeting mounds for their loved ancestral hosts to mourn for kings and for queens, to denounce aggression and tyranny. Often were the fair hosts in autumn upon the smooth brow of noble art, old Carmen. And that is O'Curry and Sullivan. Hmm. Uh, seven races were held each day of, each of the days of the fair at Carmen. With the final day reserved for horse races and other equine contests. There was a food and clothing market, a livestock market, and a market dedicated to, sell, to the sell of exotic goods and the trade of foreign gold and silver. 
Matters of law and rights for the province were considered and settled during the fair as well. Such fairs were in fact quite common in Ireland. In Leinster, a great fair was held once every three years, beginning at Lunasud and ending on the 6th of August. A poem in the Book of Leinster written around the year 1000 warns that early grayness, balding, misrule, and other misfortunes might befall those who neglect to hold the fair once every three years as tradition decreed proper. And I mean, this, this book just goes on, but I'm going to stop there. Okay. Because uh, that would have been like 22 pages worth of reading, but you get the gist of it. Yes. Again, that was from Luland's Sabbath Essentials, Lunasud, Rituals, Recipe, and Lore for Labas. And that's all I have for the history. Okay, so first I'm going to start with traditions because um, there is some, like, <coughs> crossover between mine and um, Brooks. Okay, so I'm going to start with traditions. So um, when I say traditions, I mean um, things that people thought up of and did uh, in the past. So, <laughs> one tradition is, um, so they refer to it as loafmas. Customary, it's customary to bring Christian churches a loaf of bread from the new crop. You know, like, there's nothing like, by the way, here's a celebratory day for my religion. Here's some bread. It's considered the first harvest and should be done on a waning moon. This is also said about um, Maybon. The Maybon harvest should also be done on a waning moon. Um, farmers were um, firm believers in that, and they pretty much stuck to it. In some places, it is time for warrior games and mock battles, which Brooke also mentioned. <coughs> um, <laughs> but it is on my list because we don't like match notes before we do this stuff. Uh, it also yeah, became there's no fun in that, right? It also became a thing to give a pair of gloves uh, as a gesture of benevolence and authority from the landowner to his tenants. I'm rich. Here are some gloves to prove it. <laughs> I great. mean, back then, who knows, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so some modern ways that you can celebrate um, Lamas, uh, unless you <laughs> live in a completely, like, um, gated community where you can just stick to the old ways. You know, here's some, here's some tips. Um, you can set up an altar with like wheat, corn, herbs, fruit, veggies, handcrafted items, lava's harvest ritual, which I do, I am going to read out too. It's at the bottom of my page. <coughs> uh, lava's bread sacrifice ritual. Use a loaf of bread. Um, and you're like sacrificing it to the gods. Yeah. It's a day to celebrate your skills, uh, but also, like, spend time with family and, um, like, share a meal um, of things traditional to, like, that harvest. So, like, maybe you guys bake a loaf of bread together. <laughs> I know our favorite podcast. Um, um, so the ritual that I'm going to be going over with you it, um, is called a harvest ritual. So the things that you're going to need. Now, when I say need really uh like this is just a tried and true ritual that this website has used and it's from the website learn religions <laughs> but like you don't absolutely need anything for a spell you need, need quote unquote <laughs> it, it for a spell yeah 
Um, just like I need chocolate. So <clears throat> the things that you need, quote unquote, are a candle to represent the goddess um, and the, the god. Something red, yellow, or orange to represent like fire and flame and all that stuff. Uh, two stalks of wheat to represent the actual harvest. Un an unsliced loaf of bread. Homemade is preferred, though store-bought is just as good, in my opinion. Uh, a goblet full of ritual wine, or if you ain't an alcoholic, um, apple cider, like, you know, cider. Or like, if you are an alcoholic and prefer apple cider, <laughs> you could do a hard apple cider. We'll begin this ritual by saying, now, like, you don't have to say these words. I do encourage you to make up your own, but, like, all the power to if you want to use this one. I think it's okay. Um, so begin by saying, <coughs> the wheel of the year has turned once more, and the harvest will soon be upon us. We have food on our tables, and the soil is fertile. Nature's bounty, the gift of the earth, gives us reasons to be thankful. Mother of the harvest, with your sickle and basket, bless me with abundance and plenty. Hold, no, like at this point, hold the stalks of wheat before you and think about what they symbolize. The power of the earth, the coming winter, the necessities of planning ahead. What do you need help planning right now? Are there sacrifices you should be making in the present that will be reaped in the future? It's one of those um, delayed gratification things that none of us millennials or Gen Z Zers are good at. Um, <laughs> rub the stalks, together, the stalks between your fingers so a few grains of wheat fall upon the altar. Um, now, if you don't live by a farm or on a farm and you can't find stalks of wheat, visualize it. Or uh, use fake. Or, yeah, use fake. Scatter them on the ground as a gift to the earth. If you're inside, leave them on the altar for now. You can always take them outside later. Um, but then you say, the power of the harvest is within me. As the seed, seed falls to the earth and is reborn each year, I too grow as the seasons change. As the grain takes root in the fertile soil, I too will find my roots and develop. As the smallest seed blooms into a mighty stalk, I too will bloom where I land, where I landed. As the wheat is harvested and saved for winter, I too will set aside that which I can use later. Tear off a piece of the bread. If you're performing this ritual as a group, pass the loaf around the circle so that each person present can take off a small chunk of the bread. As each person passes the bread, they should say, I pass to you this gift of the first harvest. When everyone has a piece of bread, say, the bounty is here for all of us and we are so blessed. Now, I liked this one because you, it, it's uh, both a group ritual or you can do it as a solitary witch. So, perfect. <laughs> I can either do it with Brooke or I can be forever alone. <laughs> we prefer that if we did it together. <laughs> yes, we finally are allowed to be around each other, which is really great. So everyone eats their bread together. If you have ritual wine, pass it around the circle for people to wash the bread down with. Um, that includes like your apple cider if you do that instead. So to wrap things up, once everyone has finished their bread, take a moment to meditate on the cycle of rebirth and how it applies to your own life physically, emotionally, spiritually. When you are ready, if you have, a, if you have cast a circle, close it or dismiss the quarters at this time. Otherwise, simply end the ritual in the manner of your tradition. So they leave it up to <coughs> like how you choose to hold ritual with opening and closing. Um, but I would also like to add on that if you're doing this, if you're reflecting, write a journal about it. Like, 
tell yourself how you're going to do something. Or if you want to, you can write to us and be like, so this is how I'm hoping to change my life or make things better for myself in the future. Like we'll love, we'd love to hear it. Um, cause it shows us that, uh, you know, you, you hear, you hear, like hear what we're saying and, um, and kind of like running with it. Maybe that's just the teacher in me. Um, <laughs> because you know, been out of work for so long, just got back and <laughs> they're just learning the basics now. Um, but yeah, let us know like if you try this ritual and how it goes for you. And uh, if you, you know, want a pen pal kind of deal and let us know how you uh, decided to change, change things for yourself. So uh, uh, both of these or few of these I got from the uh, Luland's Lunasud book. And a couple are actually from my personal Book of Shadows. And uh, a lot of the Lulin ones, to me, didn't make sense. So I wrote them out all chefy techy, and then I have to kind of, like, <laughs> translate them into regular person speak so that they make sense. Um, so the first one is Roasted Sacrificial Corn God on the Cob. What? <laughs> I love it. Those are like some of the, the ones from this uh, Lunas, uh, Lunasad by the Lulans. Um, they've got some interesting names for some of their food. Um, so what this is, is corn on the cob with the husks still attached if you can. You'll need mm. butter and salt and black pepper. And yes, before you ask, there are different kinds of pepper. Um, so you're going to start with a whole fresh corn on the cob. And you're going to place the corn in the oven at about 350 for about 30 minutes. And that's at Celsius, for those of you who work in Celsius. Uh, I think it's about 180 degrees Celsius, but please look that up for me. If cooking on a grill, move a few of the layers of the <laughs> outermost husks, but leave most of the husks intact. Uh, if your corn, because I know some places already husk their corn and have them on the plate, so that's the like those like platters, and that's the only way you can usually get them. Uh, if they're already husks, just wrap them in foil, um, and and you're good to go. So once the corn is done, you're going to peel back the husks, if there are any, or unwrap your foil. You're going to spread a pad of the butter uh, and then sprinkle with salt, which symbolizes the sun's energy, and black pepper, which symbolizes the death. And while you eat, think of all the plants that die each year at harvest and the humans and other animals that continue to live because of this. And again, this is something you don't have to do. You can do other things with this, but corn is a big part of this harvest. Uh, and the next one is nurturing apple tart. Again, with those weird names. Um, so this is a three different part recipe uh, because you have the shell, the tart, and the glaze for it. So the tart shell you can use by one cup of all-purpose flour, a quarter of cups of sugar, and this will be granulated sugar, nothing else, uh, mm -hmm. one eighth of a teaspoon salt, half a teaspoon of powdered cinnamon, but this is optional, 
three to four tablespoons of cold water and six tablespoons of butter that is softened and cut into cubes. Now, if this part is too much for you, you can go out to the grocery store and buy either the store-bought um, like pastry um, rolls, or you can actually buy either big pie pans or tarts in the freezer section if you don't want to do all of this work. Hmm. Uh, your filling is going to be four medium apples washed and peeled, and you're going to actually save your cores, so you actually need to do this part. You'll need two tablespoons of sugar and half a teaspoon of cinnamon. And you're also going to need several pats of butter. It doesn't say how much, just, a, just like three I'm going to go with. Um, so, and then for the glaze, you're going to need those apple cores that you took out of your apples and several of the apple slices. Now, if you're smart and you own one of those like apple slicers that also cores the apple at the same time, this step is going to be really easy for you. Ooh. Uh, you're also gonna need a quarter cup of sugar, again granulated and three quarters of a cup of water. Uh, but this specific one may vary depending on the size and quantity of your apples. You are also going to need half a teaspoon of cinnamon, but this was not actually stated in the recipe part itself of what you will need until you got to like the method. <laughs> so I'm putting it in here so that everybody is aware. Hmm. So you're going to first, and this is for the crust, so we're going to stir together the all-purpose flour, the sugar, and the salt, so your dry ingredients. Uh, if you desire, add the cinnamon at this point as well. Mm. Then you're going to cut in or use a fork to make pea-sized, um, make the butter pea-sized, and you're only going to use two tablespoons at this point. Uh, you're going to blend until it's nice and crumbly, and then you're going to add the rest of the butter, mixing with your hands. So the first part you can use like, a, there's actually something called a pastry cutter, or you can just use a fork. But the next part you're gonna need to mix with your hands because I know with pastry doughs, uh, if you don't use the, uh, your hands, you could over mix. Oh. Yeah. So you do have to leave it in pea-sized chunks in the mixture, the, the butter, um, like, Make it crumbly. I'm going to do a video of this specifically so that you kind of understand what I'm talking about. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so then you're going to next slowly incorporate the water into the mixture. And it doesn't say it in the recipe, but <laughs> from my own experience, it is better if it is ice water. You don't want the ice in the pie but the water that you're using for the pie shell is better as ice water and then put it in gradually. You're going to do it until it comes together and then you're gonna form it into a ball and chill it in the refrigerator for 30 minutes. So for the filling, the filling, oh. So for the filling, you're going to core and slice the apples and um, it doesn't really matter. Like I said, you can do this with, if you've got one of those um, cutters that also core it out for you. If you don't have that, but only have a core, don't worry about it. Just core them and cut them. 
There are also machines that if you have them, will peel them easily yourself. Hmm. So you're gonna like, you're gonna save the cores and place into a small saucepan along with a few apple slices. You're gonna add just enough water to cover the apple pieces and set aside. You're then gonna remove the dough from the fridge and you're gonna roll uh, it out on a well-floured surface until the dough itself is about a quarter of it, uh, an eighth of inch, inch thick, sorry. And then you're gonna dust the top of the flour and then you're gonna dust the rolling pin. You're gonna put the whole mixture into a nine inch pie pan and you're gonna fill the middle of it with the apples, the sugar, and the cinnamon. And you're gonna put those little pats of butter that I talked about just on top. Hmm. Don't cut the sides off. Like you'll see sometimes people will cut the sides off. You're not gonna do that. You're just gonna fold them back into the pie dish on the outside. And then you're gonna bake the whole thing at 350 for 40 to 45 minutes and then let it cool for just about 10 minutes. So for the final glaze on top, you're gonna heat the apples you placed on the saucepan pan over medium heat and you're gonna slowly stir it, adding the sugar and half the tea and half teaspoon of cinnamon. You're gonna let it simmer for several minutes until it starts to thicken and become a syrup-like consistency. Then turn it off. You're not gonna want this to bubble at all. Like big bubble, like boil. You're just gonna mm. want it to simmer. Uh, you're gonna strain out uh, the apple pieces or you can pick out the apple pieces. It depends on how much time you wanna spend picking out the apple pieces where you can also just put it through a strainer and then stick the strainer in the wash. Yeah. Um, you're gonna, gonna let it cool slightly and then brush the tart with the mixture. Oh. Yes. It's like an apple simple syrup is basically what you're making. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and then you're going to enjoy. And that, that was the nurturing tart. I like it. <laughs> yeah. And then this one is for blessed bread. And I did this one because even if you are not very good at making bread, or this is like the first time you're ever making bread, it is three ingredients and it is very difficult to screw this up. You underestimate me. Um, so at this point, you'll need three cups of all-purpose flour, one and a half teaspoons of baking soda, and one and a half cups of buttermilk. And there is, if you don't want to buy specifically buttermilk, I believe, I don't know the exact measurements, but you're going to have to look it up. You can use regular milk, but add vinegar to it, and that will make your buttermilk. Well, not buttermilk, but it will make some similar consistency. So you're going to mix together your dry ingredients and then slowly add your wet ingredients. You're going to work it in gently until it develops into a soft, clumpy dough. And do not over stir. This is a big thing. Do not over stir this. You're going to form it into about a six inch like type of disc. But you know those breads that kind of like are disc but have the like lump in the middle? Mm -hmm. That's what it's gonna look like. And then you're gonna 
place the dough on a lightly floured or greased baking sheet. And then you're going to place a little X on the top of the bread with a, the tip of a knife. And you're going to bake in the oven at 400 degrees for 20 to 30 minutes. And then you're going to let cool and then you're going to break it off and enjoy it. Be it in your ritual that Steph stated. Or if you're in a coven and you're having like a bread and wine type of thing or anything like that, that's when you can enjoy this with, with the group. I like it. So this next one is spicy goddess apple cider. And you are going to need two quarts of apple cider. And this is either four cups or one liter, depending on what type of measurements you use. <coughs> You're going to use one cinnamon stick or uh, one teaspoon of the powdered cinnamon, half a teaspoon of vanilla extract, or one uh, vanilla like bean. Yeah. Uh, one small orange or three small strawberries. Now, I'm not a big fan of strawberries, so I'd probably use the orange. That's just my preference. And then two tablespoons of sugar. So you're going to simmer the cider over medium-low heat. You're going to slice the orange into discs or quarter these strawberries. You're going to add the sugar to the cider and blend thoroughly. And then you're gonna add the fruit, vanilla, and cinnamon. You're gonna stir the mixture every now and then using slow clockwise rotation. And do not let the mixture boil. You're going to remove the fruit pieces and enjoy hot or cold. Now this is the like non-alcoholic version. If you're looking to add a little bit of alcohol, you could add a little bit of rum or um, even put like hard apple cider in this uh, so that you're still going with the apple theme. Uh, you could use vodka, uh, anything like that. So if you're of age, key, key if you're of age, mm. <laughs> you can add the alcohol. That's so uh, fun. Of age? We're of age. We've been of age for years. Sure enough. Um, and my last one um, comes from my personal book of shadows. This is the year that I do a lot of my sun teas. And yes, Stephanie, this one you will actually get because I have it almost all ready to go. Um, I do uh, one specific sun tea. I use, and you can use whatever you want for sun teas, uh, whatever your favorites are. I do like to use green tea as my base and then kind of build it on for there. For my Lunasud sun tea, which you can drink either hot or cold, it is up to you. Um, I will use uh, green tea, whether it's tea bags or tea leaves, uh, a lemon, a lime or two, and mint is usually, but I don't have mint this year, so I haven't put mint in it. So it'll just be the lemon and the lime tea for us. Uh, and I usually serve it cold because it is so hot at this time. Uh, yeah. And you will boil the water and put the tea bag in. And while that is boiling, you put the lemons and limes, and it depends on what you're doing. I will probably put it in two separate jars 
So I will split my lemon and my limes up into the two jars or put it into the vessel that you're using. And then put, so if you're doing a large batch, uh, two to three tea bags is well enough. Uh, if you're doing one batch, if you're only doing it as a single batch for yourself, um, it is preferable uh, for one tea bag. Otherwise, you can make it too strong. So once the tea is done steeping, the water's done boiling, tea is done steeping, you put the tea in with the jars and you let it cool a little bit and then you stick it out in the sun. Mm. Once you let the sun heat it all up and it's cooled down to a decent temperature, this is important or you're going to crack whatever, if it's glass, you're going to crack whatever you have if you put it directly in the refrigerator. So if it's cool to a point where you can touch it or drink it, you can stick it then in the refrigerator and then serve it over ice uh, if you want to drink it cold or you can drink it warm right off the bat. It is up to you. I, like I said, this time of year, I prefer cold, um, but that's just a personal preference. Like we said, we'll probably show you uh, kind of what we do, uh, like we did for Beltane. We'll probably show you a couple of recipes and things like that. Um, but uh, those are a few recipes, but there are tons of recipes um, that you can find. Again, one of the things that I tend to do for this time of year is my pasta salad, uh, which is um, cucumber and um, pasta and olive oil. And it's not too heavy, but it is more of a vegetable uh, first harvest kind of meal. Okay. Crafts. <laughs> Crafts and projects is what I call that. So, um, so crafts. So one of the things you can do is an apple candle holder, right? So you like, you, you core a little bit out of the, like the top of it. And then you like place a candle on top. Like a, I wouldn't say <clears throat> like a tapered candle is what I'd say. Like not, not like a steep, like a, like a big fat candle. Or tea light. Or tea light works. Yeah. Um, grapevine pentacle. I'm going to be posting pictures of these. Um, now, obviously, I do not have the skills to make a grapevine pentacle. That requires a set of skills I do not have. So <coughs> I will be just posting a picture of someone else's made. Also, I don't have any grapevine because so, I live in suburbia. <laughs> or, or we can always show how to do a non-grapevine but still a pentacle wreath from the dollar store. That's so great, Brooke. I'm so glad you signed up for that because... <laughs> oh, I am, bitch! <laughs> Thank you. Um, so there's this incense you can make. It's called a rebirth incense. Um, one part basil, half a cinnamon bark, uh, one part coriander, two parts goldenrod. Don't ask me what that is. Half a flower. Sure it is. Half a part, or part rosemary. Two parts apple blossom and one part yarrow and charge with your intention. Woo! We finally <laughs> said our first I word of the day. Mm -hmm. You can make a corn husk chain. So corn husk chain, a berry bracelet. Now I had to look up what they meant by this. So um, you'd get berries, right? Hopefully you're not picking poisonous berries just because they're pretty. 
but you use a cotton thread and a needle and you'd, um, you know, poke a hole in the berries and make a little bracelet. <laughs> Seems messy to me. It doesn't look like something I'll do. Uh, rain barrel, a corn husk doll. Those can look real creepy. Make your own smudge sticks. Uh, and a corn husk herbal sachet, which I'm like, I'm going to put, be putting instructions on how to do some of these crafts um, for funsies. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I had for crafts. Cool. Though making up your altar can also be considered part of that like craft list. That is true. You can make, um, if you're in suburbia, as stuff likes to put it, um, you can. Uh, do something really cheap and buy felt from the dollar store and use just a pattern. It's very, very simple um, to do the corn husks uh, out of like the, the light brown felt from the dollar store. Mm. Uh, uh, I think you need like, was it like two pieces of three pieces of felt and that makes uh, enough to make the corn dolly. Um, because some of those things are, like Steph said, they're not easy to do, um, when you live in a city. And, uh, part of this channel <laughs> that, uh, we said, you know, in, like, our introductory one is kind of how we want to show you how to do things easy in the city. <laughs> right, we did say that! So, um... I know that Steph and I will probably want to, at least close by to Lamas, hang out at Lamas, if not on the day, then close enough where we can do something together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we'll do a few of these because obviously I cook. We'll definitely like our Beltane. We'll have, you know, maybe photographs of our altar, some instructional video on how to do certain things. Yes. But anyway, uh, that is all we have for you today. We will see you in the next episode of True North Witches Podcast. You know you can always find us on any of our social medias. You can email us at truenorthwitches at gmail.com. It doesn't even have to be anything witchy. If you're having a tough time uh, adapting right now, just shoot us a quick email if you live in like a bible belt or you live in a family that you know doesn't exactly condone what you do and you have to be a closeted witch we don't <laughs> judge you for being a closeted witch both of us were at some point in time but if you need someone to reach out to to talk to just just give us an email <laughs> you can find us on facebook at true north witches you can also find us on TikTok at True North Witches. We have an Instagram, which is also at True North Witches. And we have a uh, Twitter, which is at True North Witches, we never post on. We often post on Instagram either. Very true. We have a YouTube where we usually post videos of this kind of thing. Um, <laughs> Where, you, can, you can find us on YouTube at True North Witches, where I post videos of the trailers as well as things like our Beltane, uh, our honey jars, and anything kind of informational that you think we need. 
You can also find us on Patreon. Um, uh, when, if you just typed in the search bar, True North Witches, I'm sure you'll find us, but you can also just find us by um, this little thing Brooke set up with TNW, right? Patreon, TNW? TNW Podcast. TNW Podcast, that's it. <laughs> wow, so good at this. Patreon.com slash TNW Podcast. There you go. <laughs> we will see you in the next episode, if either Steph or I make it that far. <laughs> yeah, guys, have a great um, week, weekend, day. I hope this makes you laugh. Because I know I sure had a good time. <laughs> so. Blessed uh, be, witches. Blessed be! Bye! Did you just mute yourself? <laughs> I definitely did not give you that courtesy. So sorry. <laughs> You love me anyway. Deal with it, darling. I do. I do.